Hey everyone, Beyond the Baseline is brought to you by the SeatGeek app. The easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app, enter our code BEYOND for $20 off your first purchase. We're also sponsored by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners, more payouts than any other site. Enter the promo code BEYOND at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to 200 bucks. Lana Kuznetsova, Andrea Petkovic, uh, Maria Sharapova, they've all said that, you know, one of the big things that they've noticed over the last couple of years is it's just tougher on the tour because you have these younger players coming up. They, as Kuznetsova told me this week, they have no respect <laughs> for the older guard. And for better or worse, they're coming in and making those first rounds, second rounds, third rounds much more difficult. The parity is, is at a level that is really shocking, I think, for a lot of people. We're used to seeing dominant names and familiar names in the quarterfinals and semifinals and finals of tournaments, and we're not seeing that as much. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. This week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. We have a special guest from halfway around the world. A familiar face, somebody who were sad and bittersweet to have seen leave the SI mothership, but we wish her nothing but the best. Courtney Wynn, now of the WTA Tour, welcome. Thank you for having me back. How'd you like it's that nice intro? I know that this, the, you know, our relationship is still good. It makes me happy. You know what they say? When Taylor Fritz doesn't want to rearrange his practice time, you call Courtney Wynn to come save the day. <laughs> I appreciate playing second fiddle oh, to Taylor Fritz. Oh, stop. Um, <laughs> we are, uh, we're happy to have you here. And in all sincerity, we still follow you. We wish you nothing but the best. I want to talk today, though, about women's tennis, and you are singularly well-suited to give us a State of the Union. Where, where are you? Tell everyone where you are, first of all. Uh, I'm talking to you guys from Zhuhai, China, just over the water from Macau and Hong Kong. So, yeah, I'm here for the WTA Elite Trophy Zhuhai, I guess is what the tournament is called. And, uh, yeah, it's been a crazy Asia trip. <laughs> this is like uh, this is like your Rolling Stones tour of Asia. This is what what number week is this living out of a suitcase in Asia? Uh, this would be week number six. Thankfully, laundry facilities are available in Asia, so we're getting through it. We're getting by. Um, so let's let's talk. You were in Singapore last week, though. That's correct. And I, it, it occurred to me. I was actually I don't know if you heard. Lindsay was on a few weeks ago. We had the same kind of discussion about boy things all of a sudden since the U.S. Open, have changed fairly radically, it seems, for the WTA Tour. New CEO, Serena obviously hasn't played since the U.S. Open, some movement in the rankings. Give me some takeaways, though, from Singapore. But let, let's start, we'll, we'll go there in a second, but let's start with just just sort of give us a State of the Union. Like, where is the WTA Tour right now? I, I ask this especially because it seemed like Singapore did get a little bit lost in the fold um, from a U.S. media standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I think that the key word that keeps coming up when you talk about the WTA is transition. And I think that it, the entirety of 2015 uh, really still underlined that, even though you had obviously Serena with her near historic season and, the, and just racking up titles and creating this massive point gap, prize money gap, just everything gap between her and the rest of the field. You still had these little moments where, you know, you had Belinda Bencic's breakthrough up in Toronto and 
You had Halep kind of solidifying herself as a top five player. Sharapova, when she played, she was great. You know, the rise of Garbina Muguruza. I mean, there were these little moments outside of the massive story, which obviously was Serena, um, that gave you a little bit of a glimpse of of what things might look like, I think, going going forward. And then on top of that, you know, you add uh, Steve Simon coming in and taking over for Stacey Allister. I, I think that generally it feels like a sea change, um, even if, you know, I say that and it sounds ridiculous because obviously Serena's winning at such a clip when she plays. But it still does feel like we're getting more of a sense of, of – Things are going to be changing over the next few years. Do you think the players realize this? I mean, what if you're one of these players that's made a nice living and had a nice career, but you've got this immovable object in Serena Williams ahead of you? Is there a sense among the players, do you sense, that things are in transition? I think so. I think so. I think part of it is, you know, you talk to a lot of the veteran players, like, even Panetta, who we had to say goodbye to in Singapore, and um, some of the other veteran players I've talked to, Svetlana Kuznetsova, Andrea Petkovic, uh, Maria Sharapova, they've all said that you know one of the big things that they've noticed over the last couple of years is it's just tougher on the tour because you have these younger players coming up. They, as Svetlana Kuznetsova told me this week, they have no respect <laughs> for uh, for the older guard. And um, for better or worse, they're coming in and making those first rounds, second rounds, third rounds much more difficult. The parity is is at a level that is really shocking, I think, for a lot of people. We're used to seeing dominant names and familiar names, you know, in the quarterfinals and semifinals and finals of tournaments. And we're not seeing that as much. Even in a in a year where Serena was so dominant, you still had kind of wacky, unpredictable finals all the time outside of the majors, you know? So you are seeing more new faces. And I think that the older guard is is definitely aware of that. I think the younger guard is is hungry as heck um, to kind of break through, but it's it is going to be difficult so long as Serena's around. I think she does have that kind of mental edge on everyone. But uh, you know, when they see Roberta Vinci pull off wins, they see uh, Petra Kvitova pull off a win, Belinda Bencic. There, there's you know a little bit of hope there that they can pull it off too. One player who was not really in this conversation even a few months ago, who was not a player we were seeing in many semis and finals, was Agarwadwanska. It seemed as though the consensus was that her time had passed, her deficit of power was just not going to be enough to get her to the top five or get her to win a slam. There were some coaching issues, some family issues, and all of a sudden she not only wins, obviously wins in Singapore, but has looked as good as anyone post-U.S. Open. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it was shocking. I, I don't think that I, even though I thought that Singapore was was as wide open as it's ever been uh, without Serena this year, I definitely didn't tap Redvanska as being, you know, maybe even in my top six to win the tournament before it started. So it was an incredible showcase for her and her talents. I mean, any of us who watches women's tennis a lot knows that she's one of the most entertaining players to watch when she's playing well. And um, I think that what my big takeaway was from her title run was just that so long as these players, and you hear it a lot, and it sounds like a cliche, but I think that it is true that so long as they put themselves in the positions to take advantage when things break their way, um, if they're doing that more often than not, things might actually break their way. I mean, this is the tour that saw Marion Bartoli walk away with a, a Wimbledon title when, you know, in a year where the draw completely busted wide open. I think with Redvanska, I was actually looking it up today. Quarterfinals are better throughout her career. She's made 11. Um, Caroline Wozniacki's made seven. Slams, you're talking. Uh, no, yeah, at the slams, quarterfinals are better right. at the majors. Right. So 
Radvanska's done a pretty good job of putting herself in a position, but things just haven't broken her way. I think that in Singapore, things did. And it should, you know, kind of settle her mind quite a bit because this was not up, you know, up until Asia, a good season for her at all. Courtney Wynn, hold that thought. Quick word from our sponsor. Sports fulfill an important tribalistic element of human nature, surrounded by your fellow fans, draped in your home colors, urging your side forward with one full voice. There's really no other experience, no other place in our society that conjures these passions. Next time you head to the Coliseum to join with your tribe, do it with the Seeky Gap. When you use my code BEYOND, you'll get a check back for $20. Here's how it works. Download the Seeky Gap on your iPhone or Android. It's free. It takes less than a minute. Then search for your event. Find a great deal. Enter our code BEYOND. And when you complete the purchase, SeatGeek will send you a $20 check to your home. It's that easy. SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of sellers online, shows you the best deals automatically. When you shop on SeatGeek, you're seeing virtually every ticket option available it's all there. It's all on one page. Go indulge some of these tribal instincts. It's very easy. Go download the SeatGeek app today. Enter the promo code BEYOND. SeatGeek will send you $20 once you've made your first purchase. Live tennis, the NFL, college football, the best concerts. If you see it in person, download the SeatGeek app. Enter our code BEYOND. Save $20. So I, I don't want to put you in the role of WTA spokeswoman. I want to be respectful. Of, I don't want to put you in a position of conflict either but what do you make if you're if you can go here what do you make of this asia strategy i mean where that was really a, a stacy allister calling card and to to some extent there were there were some successes there I, I think from a u.s perspective it certainly had a bit of a diluting effect but this was really you, you talked stacy allister the first thing out of her mouth was expand the brand to asia this clearly was a top line agenda item where does that stand now I think that's it's a legitimate question, and it's one that I it was one of the first questions that I asked to to Steve Simon when I interviewed him is, is you know this has been the strategy it's the hallmark of the Stacey Allister tenure, and um, you know if you talk to anybody outside of the WTA, I definitely understand having only just joined the WTA. It's what I thought you know when I was with Sports Illustrated is is that you know is this too much too soon is are are they going in a little too hard and especially with Lee Na's kind of really abrupt retirement and unexpected retirement when she did, uh, right when I think the Asia push was kind of hitting its cusp uh, with the Wuhan Open and a bunch of other new tournaments, you know, is it too much? And and Steve, you know, to his credit, was quite honest. And I think that what, for me, reading in between the lines of what he at least said to me, was that there is going to be a a look at Asia. And the most important thing is when you look at tournaments like Wuhan, which, um, you know, it, it's not a massive major city in, uh, you know, kind of the American conscious, for sure, even though it's a, a city of 10 million. I was, was going to say, um, you, you know, it's bigger than New York. but Yeah, exa- yeah exactly. <laughs> That's what people need to realize when it comes to China is just you're just talking, you know, scale right. is really the thing that makes it so attractive as an investment area. But you look at Wuhan, they built this brand new stadium that they just opened this year. It's got a retractable roof. The facilities are amazing. China Open, totally embedded in the uh, China market as a go-to tournament. Um, And now you have Zhuhai, which is here, and they're building brand new mega facility. They're only halfway done. They're apparently set to build a 15,000-seat capacity uh, stadium here. So for those tournaments that have actually, I think, invested in, in the infrastructure, for a long-term tournament, I think that the WTA it does have a responsibility to to kind of deliver for them. You can't 
you know, say thanks Wuhan for building this tournament and we're out of here. But I think that on the whole, they do need to look at, you know, other tournaments and see whether or not they're diluting the amount of, you know, the quality of the tennis in Asia because there are just too many tournaments here. I also, I don't know. I mean, if they played the, uh, the WTA championships, if they, if they played that in Orange County or in Palm Beach Gardens or in Santa Monica, I'm still not sure that would have swayed Serena Williams. But I do wonder about the wisdom of having a year-end event that every single player in the draw, Sonia Mirza notwithstanding, has to cross an ocean to go play. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that also comes into discussions, you know, obviously about the schedule and whether or not Zhuhai should be before Singapore. Obviously, everyone would prefer for Singapore to be the year-end championships, that it would signal the end of the season. Um, but, you know, just even how you make all that work when all of these um, these tournaments and these sponsors and these partners have invested a significant amount of money in, in it. Um, you know, who's going to move? And you know as much as I do that there are just so many uh, just fingers in the pie, you know, and so many interests that need to be balanced in that. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it's a tough, you know, talking to the players in Singapore, talking to them this week in Zhuhai it is a tough ask for them. This has been a very long Asian swing and you can sense it within every one of them, except for probably Sharapova, who was probably the only one that was chomping at the bit to play a match. Uh, I was going to say, I mean, you, you heard the remarks, but you, you could even tell on the court, these were not fresh athletes. Right. Absolutely. And so when you have that, that event as being the showcase of your tour and you want it to be an opportunity for your best players to to show everyone this is what the WTA Tour is all about. These are our best players. You want them to be as healthy as possible. And, and that's something that Steve Simon has addressed. Um, he knows that it's it's definitely, you know, number one, number two on his to-do list. He said, you know, fixing the post-U.S. Open schedule is right. going to be the thing that is probably going to be the most controversial or the first controversial thing that he has to deal with. So... You know, it's definitely on everyone's mind. I don't think that anybody's got, you know, it's not an ostrich situation. I don't think people are coming into it with, uh, you know, like, oh, no, it's fine. Let's just keep doing it the way it is. Hold that thought, Courtney. We are going to transition ourselves, and we are going to implicate your 49ers. Here's how we're going to do it. The NFL season is at the halfway point. In the old days, your chance to play fantasy football was long gone by now if you had players such as those on the Detroit Lions, you were in bad shape. If you had the Julio Joneses of the world, you were loving life, but the results were all but sealed. No longer. Now, join thousands of leagues on FanDuel. They cost as little as $1, and you can play every single week. Here's how you do it. Enter my code BEYOND at FanDuel.com. You'll get a bonus match of up to 200 bucks. FanDuel, and you know this. It's the leader in one-week fantasy football. More winners, more payouts than any other site. They pay out over $75 million a week during this NFL season. Over a million players have won money playing sports on FanDuel. Now it's your turn. Again, go to FanDuel.com. Use the code BEYOND. It's in the upper right-hand corner when you click on the microphone. You cannot miss it. You will get a bonus of up to $200. This offer is good only for the first 50 people that use the code BEYOND today. Don't get left out. If you've been in a bar, at a game, even at your kid's principal's office, you've probably heard about daily fantasy sports. Want to try it? It's very easy. Go to FanDuel.com, enter the code BEYOND. You will get up to $200 in bonus matches. It is very easy, and every day is a new season. Go to FanDuel.com, try it out today. Our friends at Panoply Network 
have a brand new show, Edge of Sports with Dave Zirin, where sports and politics collide. Dave is one of the good guys at sports. On the premiere episode, he has public enemy frontman Chuck D, who speaks on Muhammad Ali, LeBron James, and, of course, his Pilates routine. Search for Edge of Sports on iTunes and Stitcher or visit panoply.fm to find the show. Again, Dave Zirin's Edge of Sports. You will want to download it. Someone asked me this uh, this morning on the mailbag. Give me my top three stories in women's tennis this year. Um, you go first. I'll tell you what I picked. But you, top top three stories of the year in women's tennis. What are you saying? Goodness gracious. Serena, Serena, Serena? Um, no, but I mean, Serena Williams obviously is, is the big one. And, um, and if you really had to even, you know, distill it even more, I think that the, it's the loss to Roberta Vinci and what happened this fall that, you know, that loss just basically knocked her out for the rest of the season and how she's going to deal with that um, coming into 2016 with all this chatter about knee injuries and, you know, motivation struggles and things like that, that becomes a bigger story, which is a shame because the story really should be should be about she won three majors and was three sets away from completing the calendar slam. But I think that she's almost given a significant amount of heft to that loss. So I would say that. Um, number two for me, I do. I was incredibly impressed by both Benchich and Muguruza. So I think that there is a story there with respect to kind of the youth movement, um, and especially in combination with, you know, what happened with Bouchard this year. So I think that that's an interesting discussion about the future. And then the last one was actually Caroline Wozniacki for me. I, I, it was a surprisingly... Um, flat year for her, especially the way that she ended 2014. So I was I was surprised that she wasn't able to deliver the way that I guess going into 2015 I thought she would. Those are good. I uh, go. I've been, I no. I said I I mean Serena's a no brainer. Um, right. I, I have Venus back in the top ten potentially, and not only the ranking but the way in which she did it. The fact that Venus Williams is playing right now in the first week of November in Asia. Um, to me, is a a loud statement. And then I I had Tangus and Mirza, yeah, becoming uh, the Serena Williams of doubles. Wozniacki's <laughs> a good one. I mean, so if we were gonna if I were gonna ask you disappointments, that would be your your number one. Yeah, I think number one would definitely be be Caroline. Um, just because, man, I really thought she was just she had figured out, or at least was on the cusp of taking her game to an, another level at the end of last year, um, playing more aggressively. And then she just didn't really carry that through. And she blamed tough draws in the first half. She kept drawing Azarenka, who had a way of kind of owning her. Right. Um, and then a bunch of injuries definitely derailed it. But that was definitely disappointing. Um, I think, obviously, Bouchard. Um, I don't think anybody saw that level of uh, of coming back to earth or worse, um, you know, really coming. So I think that was definitely one. And then Anna Ivanovic, uh, similar to the Wozniacki situation. I just really thought that she was kind of back. and uh, Very similar to Wozniacki, so isn't it? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Know, lo- lovely person, has been number one. I mean, there, there are all sorts of parallels there and just can't seem to get it done. And yeah, and, and there are players who I think that, you know, especially those three, when you talk about Bouchard, Wozniacki, and Ivanovic, who the sport would be better off globally if they were like global icons, before, you know, that that delivered on court on a consistent basis. I think that would help women's sport. I think it would help the WTA. So, you know, that, I think that that's why it feels a little bit more disappointing, I suppose. 
What does the top five look like at this point next year? This point next year, I think it looks incredibly similar to to where it looks now. Um, I, I still anticipate Serena being number one, Hallett being top five, Sharapova being top five. Um, Kvitova, I suppose, is is the one that, you know, you know the story with Kvitova. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, that she finishes top 10 this year is is in some ways just as shocking as anything else. Um, but we all know her talent as well. So if she can get her health issues sorted out, maybe that's something. But to me, in my head, she's always a top five player. Um, and, you know, especially in light of what we saw the last few years with, you know, Sloane Stevens doing really well and then struggling the second year. Uh, Bouchard doing really well, struggling the second year. I'm like trying not to get really excited about Muguruza, but she, she watching her, her all through Asia, she had her swoon this stoked. summer, right? Yeah, she, she got it out of her summer. system she had early. That great uh, Wimbledon. No, no, but, but I'm saying she got her swoon out. You know, she was she was terrible in yeah. Cincinnati, and she she got it out of her system. Uh, <laughs> she got the swoon out of her system so. early. Um, the uh, I was going to ask you about the doubles too. Sure. Hingis and Mirza, great story, right? Great story. What was it like watching them? I mean, what what was their? You, you wrote about it a little, but what's what's their demeanor? What are they doing so well? I think that first and foremost, they just they they just mesh incredibly well, just game style wise. Not to get into the tactics and technical stuff of doubles, but they just between the Mirza cannon of a forehand and her returning and Hingis's like guile at the net, it's a tough team to get past. But being around them and, and watching what they have brought to women's, not just doubles, but what they brought to the WTA, this is something that the ATP has always had with the Bryans, a marquee doubles right, team right. that could actually sell tickets. Well, and that also has no interest in singles. Right. Precisely right. So they are focused and that's their thing. And they can talk about the doubles game with more gravitas, I think, than singles players who just happen to be successful in doubles. Um and so they they've been selling tickets. They they you know the crowds that show up for them, they're a draw. And so in that way, I think that it's it's fantastic. But I mean, the third point that I'll just make about Mirza Hingis, and I asked them this explicitly in Singapore. I was like, on a scale of one to ten, where's your swagger these days? And they laughed, but they did not back down from that at all. They're like, look, we're the best doubles team in the world. Uh, we believe it, and it takes a lot to beat us, and we're incredibly confident. And so I kind of personally, I kind of like that. I, I like that the, the Hingis Mirza combination. I mean, they both have a lot of swag independently, but you've combined them, and it's just this—it's off the charts. Um, we're their all body for language off is the charts swag. We're all—we're all for <laughs> that, though. See, I mean, I, I feel like that—that's been one sort of—I don't want to say missing element, but it's been a little muted this year. It's not about—you know—it's it's nothing necessarily controversial. I mean, it just seems as though there, there's been a bit of kind of a a, a personality reduction. So we're. We're happy to see Hingis and Mirza. Let me let me ask you. Uh, give us one name of a player who we ought to be watching. Um, you know, a, a top twenty player by this point next year who nobody's heard of. Oof, that's a good one. That I, I think heard we talked of. about this last year, and uh, I can't remember. There, there was a name that um, it, it may have been Pliskova, but what? What? Um, yeah, it might have been a Pliskova or a Ben. Yeah, it might have been a Pliskova last who's, year. Who's, who's um, the Benchich of twenty sixteen? Or, or, or is there not? I mean, it's also, you know, I just, we, we said the top three stories of the year and the, the three players that came to my mind were all born in the early 80s. So yeah, may, maybe it's, no. we're at the point where uh, there isn't an 18-year-old next year who's going to break through. Yeah, I like that, I mean, I like that Ocean Dodan. When you look at the teenagers, everybody's looking at like an Anna Kanyu of, right. uh, 
of Croatia right, just because right. she has incredible power. But she's still, I think, maybe playing under age restriction. I could be wrong on that. but So we don't get to see her a ton. I think that I guess if you were to pick one that's that might be coming up, but everybody kind of knows her, Gavrilova, just because yeah. she's a feisty young Australian, she gets all amped about everything. It's very entertaining to watch, um, and she's—I mean, she's a good ticket. But I, that said, I, I I still have questions about her game and um, and things like that. But at this point, I mean, with Benchich breaking through and Muguruza soaring up, even a Bachinski getting herself top 20, I, I feel like this this younger set, they've all kind of made the splash that I would expect of them by this point in their careers. We'll, we'll accept that answer. So <laughs> do, you, do you get some downtime after this? I hope so. I'm looking forward to playing a lot of video games, um, catching up on all the TV mm-hmm. that I've missed while I've been gone for six weeks. And holy crap, there's been a lot of sports happening. There have I woke been. up and saw the, the Royals won the World Series. Oh, and I was, I was like, what? Spoiler alert, I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> what else can I tell you? That that Brutal. Steph Curry is pretty good. Your your 49ers, not so good. Not so good. I'm ignoring the Niners. I'm going to focus on Steph Curry and his highlight reel action. Uh, but yeah, no, definitely some downtime. But, you know, the offseason will be over in a blink. And uh, we'll be sunning ourselves in Melbourne soon, I'm sure. I was going to say. So we'll we'll see you in Australia. Most definitely. All right. The theme of transition. Sadly, it applies here as well. Courtney Wynn, no longer with Sports Illustrated, transitioning smoothly, but thanks for coming by. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. All right, everyone. That was our guest, Courtney Wynn, now of the WTA Tour, calling in from Asia. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and thanks for all your feedback throughout the week. Thanks for your ideas for future guests, some more feasible than others, I will admit, but they've all been great. Thanks for your feedback on social media. We'll keep doing this as long as there's an audience. So until then, have a good week. See you next week.